Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, a conversation about the significance of place, eliminating economic isolation, and the structure of belonging. My name is Rabbi Miriam Turlinchamp, and I'm the host for today's conversation between Dr. Olivia Saunders, Peter Block, Greg Jarrell, and our producer, Joey Taylor. We talked to Olivia about her book, Tomato Economics, and the concepts of sovereignty, scarcity, and abundance. And, and so long as the motivation has anything to do with money, scarcity has to prevail until we think in terms of benefiting individuals and the communities that they're in. The economic system can change, and, and that's part of the peeling away, is that when you're thinking for the benefit of individuals and their communities, that we start to rethink and restructure what we build and how we do what we do. We recognize the audio quality for Olivia isn't quite as good as we'd like, but because the content is still so important, we decided to still release this episode. In case you have issues with understanding, we've also provided a link to the transcript in the show notes. We begin with Peter framing the conversation by sharing a story about Olivia and one of their mutual friends, Roosevelt Finlayson. Olivia introduced me along with a friend to a world. Must have been 20 years ago. I didn't know what community was until I went out to dinner with Roosevelt. And it took us 30 minutes to get to our table because he had to say hello to everybody along the way. <laughs> and for a, a lonely boy like me, I had got my attention. And so I think what Olivia taught me was about colonialism. And she gave me an insight that before NASA on the Bahamas, when they were colonized and ruled by England, the black economy was much stronger. And she lived in a place where they took care of each other's children. They fed each other. They cared for each other. And as soon as the island was, uh, you know, free, people decided they wanted to go to work in the white culture, the tourist culture. And it kind of hurt the black economy a lot. And I've heard that in many other places. That thought had never entered my mind. That's when she interested me in economics. That's why we're here, among other things. As I read through your book, Olivia, the thing that struck me was this word sovereignty. But could you talk just a little bit about what does being sovereign have to do with believing in abundance, seeing abundance, cultivating abundance? Well, I never, I was never asked that question, I, and I have to say it, it has me thinking <laughs> about what I really mean about it and, and linking it to abundance. Um, but sovereignty, and, and I'm talking about my sovereignty, you as a sovereign being, we all individually as sovereign beings, and for me, you there can't be abundance unless we are granted, allowed to be sovereign. Because otherwise, somebody is deciding for me what I should and should not have, what I should be and what I should not be. We talk about colonialism, and Peter talked about colonialism a lot. And a major part of colonialism is denying not just countries their sovereignty, but individuals their sovereignty. We are told 
we're a sovereign nation, and especially those countries that were once formally colonized, but you're now, when you get independent, you're now <clears throat> a sovereign nation. But the reality in the world is that we're not. Um, we're still controlled by powers outside of us, either on the political front and or the economic front and or the social front and back and side. Because countries outside of the hegemons have no sovereignty because you, you cannot act on your own accord, no matter how respectful or how caring it may be, unless it is sanctioned and given the okay by a world power. As individuals, <clears throat> similarly, we are so often told, well, you belong in this space or that space, you're allowed to have this thing or that thing, uh, you're allowed to go to this kind of school or the next kind or, or whatever, but seldom are we really allowed to be sovereign. It's half being allowed to be sovereign. To, to colonialism or sovereign means somebody thinks they know what's best for you. See, in modern times, we're not so much ordered around. It's just that we decide what measures count. We decide that the gross domestic product, we, we include tourism as being good for your country. Yeah, but it's also then claiming sovereignty for ourselves. To me, that's the voice you've been, Olivia, is calling out in your garden. Yeah. As a model, <laughs> when will we and claim sovereignty for ourselves? And it's powerful to me because you, you're president of a university for years, all right? You're, you're an honored person in the university system. You have a doctor in front of your name, all right? And yet you see this so clearly. You have not been seduced or distracted. Even though you participated, none of us are innocent. So you've resisted, as, as Peter is alluding to. Give us a sense of your practice. Like, how have you not fallen into the gravity of those institutions? What's kept you able to resist? In a way, I resisted. But at the same time, if you don't have some level of cooperation, you're going to get pulverized. Sure. So the, the resistance comes first within myself to try to be able to understand and see what's going on. And then to, to try to figure out, well, hmm, if I go this way, how am I likely to influence? Or what can I say that would influence persons to think about what they're thinking, to think how they're thinking. Because for me, um, I've been talking against, for example, our economic system, not just domestically, but internationally. There's a reality, I can't change it. But the little that I do while I'm cooperating in the system, for example, growing what I can grow in my yard, not being um, seduced by the Black Fridays and that sort of thing. Approaching politics in a different way, how I vote or decide not to vote. I let my point of view be known because 
the fact is that head-on collisions with the powers that be is just self-destruction. So I would say it's a passiveness and it's a, going back to the word sovereignty is I try to claim my own sovereignty within myself, but at the same time, I know I'm in head-on. So even as I'm in the university and I'm there for my voice to be heard, not to cause corruption, not to cause confusion, not to try to say that what you're doing is absolutely stupid or insult or, you know, to have my voice from the perspective of abundance be heard as I understand it to be. And you take it or you don't take it. Some people take it. Sometimes persons, two years after hearing it, they come to me and say, now I understand what you said. <laughs> and they then start to act. And a lot of things that I was saying 15, 20 years ago, I don't have to say anymore because others are saying it. That's compelling. Can you name two things that 15 years ago you gave voice to that now you don't have to any longer? Foreign direct investment <laughs> and foreign ownership of the economy. <laughs> uh, because persons are... Um, one one of the things that's going around memes, et cetera, that's going around now is that we should all hate China because China is buying up Africa, China is buying up the Caribbean, China is buying up this, that, and the next. And I just responded to one of them just this morning. And my response was something to the effect that apparently only Europeans and Americans are allowed to buy up. Uh -huh. that what they do do is conquer and destroy. Now we're conscious about the kind of investment. People are now speaking up the destruction of the environment to get a few measly jobs. One of the uh, things that people are talking about. And, and the next thing is what comes with that is diminishing the value of behaviors because in a colonial system, our role is simply to make other people rich. And we are simply workers. But now, uh, very few politicians, they have to really code and sugar it up <laughs> when they go in and bring in foreign investors now because more and more people are seeing it. And just in the newspapers today, actually, there's a big story about it. So, yeah, th those are at the local level that I've been talking about. What you said is so powerful, I almost want you to say it again, that our role in a colonial world, call it, label it what you want, is to help other people get rich. And what's so powerful is that as that's happening, so few people understand it. They call it a service economy sometimes. And now in the United States, nobody wants to go back to work. You've helped me understand that. And one of the reasons is, given a few months off, they realized all they were doing was helping other people get rich. And this is a way to claim their sovereignty in a measure. Not totally, because they'll still be working, a wage slave as I am as well. But they're beginning to understand better 
how the economic system works and their place in this economic system. So in the Bahamas and other countries, you know, they always talk about, you know, we don't have resources. One of the, the mantras you always hear is that we have nothing. Yet people come here and make zillions of dollars <laughs> out of this nothingness. <laughs> you know, people are seeing that the economic system is designed, it's scarcely based because it's making so many persons so-called valueless. That your value only comes to the extent that you show up nine, get off at five or eight, get off at four. Your value is well beyond that. In, in our society uh, and in the U.S., you saw the value of what we would say low-skilled, low-wage, you know, those on the low end of the totem pole because it was they who were keeping people alive. At this point, we invite you to take a breath and consider the words of William Stafford. The poem is called, You Reading This, Be Ready. Starting here, what do you want to remember? How sunlight creeps along a shining floor? What scent of old wood hovers? What softened sound from outside fills the air? Will you ever bring a better gift for the world than the breathing respect that you carry wherever you go right now? Are you waiting for time to show you some better thoughts? When you turn around, starting here, lift this new glimpse that you found, carry into evening all that you want from this day. This interval you spent reading or hearing this, keep it for life. What can anyone give you greater than now? Starting here, right in this room, when you turn around. Now, as we return to the conversation, Greg asks Olivia a question. One of the ways that the scarcity economy has done us such a disservice is by, by stealing our imaginations from us. So when we're reading your book, it's hard for me to imagine what a system that's built on abundance would even look like, right? So the, the way that we've been trained to think is that we have a system based on scarcity and we resolve the problems of that system by individual acts of charity, not by a systemic method. So help us to walk into your imagination here. How are we going to systematize abundance so that we have something different than what we have today? I'm always reluctant to come up with a solution because one of my things about this scarcity thing is that you're telling me there's only one economic system. It's called capitalism, or it's called socialism, or it's called this, it's called that. The Bahamas has 700 islands, keys, and all less than half a million people. We need an economic system that's different from Canada, from Chile, from Peru. Going back to the poem that Joey read at the beginning, starting now, where are we now? What do we have in our storehouse that we can share, that we can be generous with, and others can be generous with us? And actually, I never come up with a solution for what this abundant economy is like, because if I do, I'm just 
being another colonizer saying that Olivia's system is what it should be. I called it tomato economics, but you could call it whatever economics you want to call it. You could call it, you know, grapefruit economics. If you like, what is the economic system and what is the social construct that is going to work in your space? The things that matter most to us, call it sovereignty. Uh, no program can serve because as soon as you have a program or a solution, including affordable housing, all right, the person delivering the program is engaged in a marketing and sales effort rather than what you say is that is why don't we talk about an economy of generosity? And when we do that, there's enough. You know, it's a in the cryptocurrency world, they're selling the notion of self-sovereignty. And what they're saying is that I can get wealthy and I don't work for anybody. But it's a mythical world. There is no place in the cryptocurrency world. Bitcoin, I can't even hold. And to me, it's interesting that these words are you know, floating in different domains. But what you're saying, it's not an argument against money. It's a, it's, a, it's a consciousness as to what is it good for. It's more than just repeating and growing itself, which is the crypto promise. I bought 10,000, now it's 14,000. I pay $30 million for a painting I can't even hang on my wall. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, Peter, because I've been reviewing this crypto world for the last couple of weeks. It's fascinating to me, but one thing that I really noticed and what I like about it is the fact that it's a totally mythical world, but really no different from the mythical world we already operate in. Because money is a myth. Money is a made up thing. The shares in a company is a made up thing. The prices go up just by what people think or feel or what somebody tweets or this, that, and the net. It's all based on nothingness. The difference now is that more people can participate in the nothingness more to their economic benefit than they heretofore could not have. So it is a, an indicator of, 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 a, of more that can be available to more people. But if you look at that world and our world, what we call the real world and the crypto world, they're really the same, except that one is in cyberspace and one is on the New York Stock Exchange or the London Stock Exchange. Another difference is that governments have control over pound sterling or the euro or the US dollar or the Canadian dollar to some degree. Now it's in private hands. The crypto world is, is in private hands. Interesting, as are tomato gardens. <laughs> Yes. Olivia, I loved how, um, how you ended this book. You basically said, so now it's up to you to figure out what this means for you. You asked this series of questions, and I thought maybe you could answer one or both of these for yourself. How can I peel away, or how can you peel away one layer of scarcity from your life and community? How can you bring another aspect of abundance to your life and community? As I was saying before, I... It is about peeling away because, like I said, it, we're, we're in, a, in a world 
And uh, I don't care what the motivational speakers and all that say, we're in control. Yeah, to some extent, but still we're in somebody else's world. And we have to peel away inch by inch, day by day, minute by minute, whenever we have the opportunity to, to, to move away the idea of scarcity. And I think that's one of the reasons I stay in education at the university and with the students. We still have a very much, in my mind, a colonial education system. Our paradigm is one where we are discouraged from really taking on our sovereignty. So one of the messages for me in peeling away this is with my students and how I teach them, how I interact with them, to let them know that they are a lot more than what they've been told they are and that they are not bound by the limitations that are set with them. And in my community, I try to be generous. I have avocado trees, passion fruit, and I share. And my neighbors share with me. This is who we are as a people. And I think if you go back to all traditional societies, the capacity to survive came from sharing, not from competition, <laughs> not from taking away as much as I can from the next person. If not, you, you would not have survived. But somehow, somebody decided that the best way to move forward is for us to think only about ourselves. And the world is going to be a lot better as I take from you as much as I can and leave you to the dogs because the most important thing is for me to become wealthy for myself. To me, it's just the, the little acts of generosity, of kindness. It's just, and, and to me, it's just being human. Because if, if I'm in my way demonstrating abundance, it's amazing how other people feel it, connect with it, and want to interact with it. So that's just my, my way of peeling away. Peter, is there a way that you're peeling away one layer of scarcity from your life and communities? I'm making the case against scale in how I live, in how I write, the things I support in the world. I'm making the case against speed, against convenience. I feel place is what I'm trying to celebrate, part of what I learned from Olivia. So I participate in my neighborhood. I'm on the local council, so I haven't given up, but we don't really do anything that's useful, except that Saturday night we had a holidays on Ludlow, which is the main street of my Clifton neighborhood. I volunteered. It surprised me how many people I knew and what generosity you feel in this thing called place. It's a real alternative. To me, it's a political stance. You can create the alternative any place you are. It becomes a, a source of meaning. And that's why we're trying to start projects that have to do with land and owning land and controlling land. Because land was the beginning. Olivia said, you know, at some point, somebody decided on capitalism making. It wasn't some point and someone. It was John Locke and Northern Europeans decided that every piece of land, it was God's will to maximize economic gain from every piece of land. And that's why the Native Americans in the United States were so easily pushed aside is they weren't maximizing profit from the land. They loved it. All of us have a, a way into this. 
And then you say, well, how do I organize my being and my life to support that, knowing that I cooperate like crazy? You know, I, no, nobody claims innocence, but we do control what we pay attention to. And I think what Olivia represents is us paying attention to the alternative economy. And in our case, call it the common good, which gets out of the argument of private versus public. I don't want to be in those conversations. I don't want to argue for and against capitalism, but we can say, well, there's a commons within walking distance that we're trying to treat as if it matters. The, uh, the doctrine, legally and theologically, they called it the doctrine of discovery that Peter's referring to. Yes, right? thank you. And the doctrine of discovery was basically whatever European found it got to claim it as theirs. Not only land, but also people, right? And so not just extracting value from a place, but also from the people that inhabited a place. So Olivia, early on in, in the book, you say that, that these ideas, some people considered as dangerous, uh, mm -hmm. the things that you're writing about. And I think that's right. I think, I think those people are right. These are dangerous ideas because they threaten to upend a system that's been built on exploitation. So I think they're the right kind of danger. And danger also brings with it possibility that something new could be born. And I think that what you're calling us to is, is new in some sense, but it's also just very old. It just calls us back to that time before the doctrine of discovery when communities already functioned in this way. You know, that's been really encouraging to me to remember that somewhere back in there, we've got what we need already. That ancient wisdom already exists. We have to remember it, though. We never lost it. I remember being in Hawaii with a friend. And she said, you know, the colonizers came and took it and everything, but we never lost it. Yeah, that's right. We've always known whose land this is. And I think, Olivia, what you represent is, is the fact that you don't have to go anywhere to know that this is your land. This is your culture. This is your world. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes to learn more about Dr. Olivia Saunders, her book, Tomato Economics, the Common Good Collective, and all of the voices you heard on this episode. This episode has been hosted by me, Rabbi Miriam Trillenchamp, and is produced by the amazing Joey Taylor, and the music is from Jeff Gorman.